welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games that you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, and I guess Emerald 2, and my guest is Marcel Hong. Hello, Marcel. Hey there. It's been a while. <laughs> been a while, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we kind of know each other from the old Bitmob days, uh, which, man, that was that was back in the... the uh, to somewhere in the early 2000s, right? Early yeah, back before the old uh, Venture Beat acquisition. Right. Yeah, so early, mid-2000s, somewhere in there. Um, but you had written uh, some really good articles about uh, about the Pokemon metagame for uh, the various generations, and you went through all of them. Are, are you still keeping up on that? Did you do one for X and Y? Yeah, I managed to finish up uh, to the X and Y generation. Uh, currently... Currently, I participate in the uh, Destructoid community, and uh, that's kind of uh, depending on who you ask. How depending on, depending on who you ask, that's kind of falling apart too. But I still like it. <laughs> and yeah, I managed to finish up the whole idea, the whole series uh, over there. Well, very cool. Uh, so, I mean, I always remember reading those articles on Bitmob and thinking they were super interesting. As, as somebody who uh, does not play Pokemon in that way whatsoever and and really doesn't want to i i i fully admit i do not know what i'm doing when it comes to raising top tier level pokemon uh i just like playing the games catching them all and doing that kind of stuff but i think that's kind of cool that there are those two sides of the coin to to playing these games and so i wanted to get on another perspective and you seem to be a, a pretty good authority when it comes to uh Matchups and natures and EV and IVs and and things that I uh, uh, don't even know about. Yeah, I, like I never really intended to get all competitive, like to discover how far I could take the whole thing. But I think you know, I think everyone starts off that way. But I think how I got into it was that I just played the Pokemon games to death, and I just reached a point in the single player. It's like, well, I've beaten Elite Four, and depending on the generation, I've done almost all of the post game content. So. Like, just one day when I was, I believe, I really got into it in Diamond and Pearl, I just thought to myself, oh, what's there left to do? Well, I guess I could just battle some people, but I'm not going to take these story Pokemon to battle with me. I know they're not good, so. And I just got into, like, just reading up on all the theory crafting and IVs and EVs and just optimal movesets, and then I just really got an inside look on the metagame after doing a lot of research on it, personal research on it. All right, so so you said uh, you got into it around Diamond and Pearl time, so that's, uh, what do we call that? Is that Gen 4? That should be Gen 4, yeah. Okay, so uh, so you were a little late to the game when it comes to when it comes to the meta game, I guess, but then you, you tracked back and, and went backwards and, and figured out the other things from then? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, I figured we'd talk about it sooner or later, but yeah, Smogon <laughs> was an amazing source for researching, like, legacy and data, legacy data and tiers like that it's amazing just how much they've archived and just how well preserved that data is so i mean i don't know anything about the tournament scene i but are the old games even played anymore do people go back and say oh man let's play some let's play some gold and silver there's like a, a, a ruby and sapphire league that still goes on or is it just hey nintendo brought out a new one we're playing the new one because that's what you do uh i don't have any I don't have any knowledge if it's still being played. Like they definitely wouldn't be. They would definitely wouldn't continue playing old school like Game Boys and Link cables. But I'd like to imagine if that does exist. After all, like people still play Third Strike on a regular basis, sure. and still in tournament tournament rotations. So I'd like to think that if the 
the tiers and the metagame shift of generation one and two are still in play, it's probably still in play in simulators and stuff because the big thing that a lot of people do is just get online on like Pokemon simulators where the metagame is mostly simulated on a computer software as opposed to playing like the actual game. Mm. And uh, a lot of times you might also find ROM hacks where stuff is tweaked, but most of the time uh, Pokemon simulators just allow you to play under optimal conditions without hours and hours of grinding and training. Okay. okay. All right. That makes, that makes some sense. Yeah. Um, so if, yeah, if red and blue are still being played, it's probably under simulator conditions. Okay. Okay. Uh, now talk to me about, I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole you as this, as this Pokemon tournament player guy. Uh, so like, well, what else? Yeah, I'm not even a tournament <laughs> player, but I just figured I play against my friends a lot and they're definitely going to bring their A game. So, I brought my A game to all my friends around me. Nice. Well, I mean, what else? What else did you play uh, on on the Game Boy or, or handheld systems? This is kind of just a general handheld show, so uh, anything goes, really. Uh, let's see. Well, going. Oh man, it's probably been a lot. I mean, I've probably <laughs> played like a lot of the Sonic Fans games. Uh, I didn't get into Fire Emblem. I'm really new at Fire Emblem. I only really seriously played Awakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big, Pokemon really defined a big part of my handheld experience, but it's definitely not what all that I played. Sure. Yeah, definitely a Mario gamer too, but right now it's uh, kind of escaping me at the moment. So, are you sticking uh, with all Nintendo systems, or have you have you got into to a PSP or a Vita or even iOS stuff or anything like that? I never really invested in a Vita, though. I definitely, I definitely remember owning a Game Gear and. <laughs> feeding double a batteries every now and then oh yeah well cool uh well i mean we're, we're here to talk about pokemon so let's let's get back into that uh so this episode episode 29 i think wow um we're talking about pokemon ruby and sapphire and and kind of emerald too emerald is uh is a little bit different kind of in the same way that uh yellow for for red and blue or crystal for gold and silver it, it came out a little bit later and and had a few changes of its own um, but Ruby and Sapphire, at least, they came out March 19th, 2003 in America. They came out in 2002 in Japan. Uh, again, still made by Game Freak, uh, published by Nintendo and, and the Pokemon Company. Uh, I'm not sure if the Pokemon Company became a thing between Gold, Gold and Silver and Ruby and Sapphire, or if that was between the original games and, and the second gen. But, um... But really, it's the the cast of characters you know uh, in terms of in terms of the people. Uh, I, I guess uh, there were a lot more art assets that came in here. So the original art director, whose name escapes me right now, uh, he brought in some extra help. Uh, but really, everybody else is is still hitting that Pokemon jam. Um, these uh, this is the third. This is I guess the beginning of the third generation of Pokemon, uh, which also includes Fire Fire Red, Leaf Green. Uh, and, uh, and I, I mean, I guess if you count the, the console ones, it counts Colosseum and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, something or other I'd never played. Uh, um, classic, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, wasn't there something like there were dark Pokemon in that that you had to turn and you weren't really, I, I don't even remember. I just remember that was the way to get something, <laughs> yeah, it was it was their bone to throw to Pokemon fans who won on the console. Honestly, I didn't really pay much attention to those because uh, those games, and even I mean, especially those console games, like they're 
truly spinoffs to me because they didn't really offer any shifts and most of the shift was for narrative, trying to apply some kind of wacky shenanigan story. But to to my knowledge, most of the movesets and the balance is mostly the same for the generation. Cool. All right. Uh, well, the the big uproar uh, for for these games is that this uh, the, it's called the advanced generation or uh, even like the a reboot or a refresh because uh, everything that happened in generation one and two uh, you can't bring that over to gen three. This this is a new cutoff point uh, where there's there's just no connectivity between the the game Game Boy Advance and the Game Boy Color or or the original Game Boy when it comes to Pokemon. So. Uh, all those great Alakazams you got in the uh, in Gen One, or, or that sweet Lugia that you got in in Gen Two, uh, you, you can't bring them over. Uh, but this is kind of it, it set the new bar. It, it set the new table, I guess, for for all the new generations going on. So you can still bring in Gen Three Pokemon to uh, what the hell are we on? Are we Gen Six or Seven? I, I don't know if Black and White Two count as a new generation or not. I believe Black and White was 6 and X and Y 7. Okay, cool. Um, That's a lose count right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets a little ridiculous. Um, so whatever it is. X and Y 6. X and Y 6? All right. So uh, whatever it is, like you can still bring in your, your Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire guys into X and Y because they, they really brought in a framework of, okay, this is what we're going to build on from now on. Uh, I mean, Pokemon... I think we discussed it in the in the first generation episode, but they they packed a lot of stuff onto those cartridges, and they they uh, Game Freak kind of uh, just fit things in where they could, and and they weren't really the best uh, the best organized games in terms of in terms of the programming and the coding. So I think this really gave uh, Nintendo and Game Freak a chance to just refresh the thing and say, all right, here's we're going to do it right this time. And uh, they've been able to build on that ever since. So in, in that uh, respect, it was pretty good. Um, the one of the problems, though, is that they weren't able to bring over every. They weren't able to bring all the stuff in. Uh, in gold and gold and silver, they uh, you could bring in all your Pokemon from from the first one. So they actually had 251, and you could catch all of them there. And for a game where the idea is to catch them all, that was kind of important. Uh, for Ruby and Sapphire, we got 135 new guys. I'm pretty sure that's the number. Uh, so that brought it up to a grand total of 386 different types of Pokemon, but not all of them were available uh, in Ruby and Sapphire. Um, and it wouldn't be until uh, until Fire Red and Leaf Green where everything could be caught again. So uh, that now and then generation will exclude. I mean, like even now in the sixth generation, like. I found myself, like, constructing some teams, and I found out, like, pretty late in the game, like, late in the competition, that I can't find a Grimer anywhere, or a Muck. It's, like, something <laughs> all the way back to Red and Blue, and uh, exclusively on the X and Y platform, I, you can't find a Grimer or a Muck anywhere, unless you transfer it from, you know, like, X and Y 2 or something. Sure. Yeah, I, it's <laughs> it seems a little ridiculous, but uh, Nintendo's been pretty good since since uh, Ruby and Sapphire about being able to bring in all your old guys. So it, it hasn't been a problem for those legacy players, uh, but I guess if you're a new player, it can kind of can kind of be a little frustrating. But they, they also have made uh, trading, online trading, uh, a lot easier, so it, it can still uh, not be too hard to find those guys if you're, if you're still looking for them. 
Um, but uh, I mean, the, these games uh, critically were were still successes, but I don't think they got the the reviews that the first two generations did. A, a lot of people, I mean, the first generation took everyone by storm, and and so there's a lot of nostalgia for that. Uh, the second generation is still what a lot of people uh, a lot of people I've talked to consider the best, uh, and that's that's kind of that high watermark. And and this third one, for whatever reason, it just didn't get uh, the reviews that the other ones did. Uh, it, it still did well. I think it I think it got in the 80s and, and sometimes even 90s. But uh, for for Pokemon, that seemed to be uh, not as good as as some of the other ones had. Uh, and I guess that's that's just people were getting a little fatigued. This is the third time we got a Pokemon that was more or less the same. Uh, yeah, like the, the narrative is kind of mixed for. Uh ruby and sapphire like oftentimes when i talk to people or read experiences like ruby and sapphire usually comes at a really pivotal moment or a transformative moment like people are entering college or entering high school Mm -hmm. and for some people it might resonate for them but maybe for a lot i guess for a lot of the cases and the general zeitgeist of it all like during this pivotal moment they just decide to discard pokemon and ruby and sapphire gets cast by the wayside yeah i i mean uh, for me, Ruby and Sapphire was a game I, I bought. Uh, I don't know if I bought day one, but I bought really soon into it. I think I was entering uh, high school at the time, and I still played Pokemon. I, I didn't mind people knowing that I played Pokemon, but for whatever reason, it the the game is not familiar to me at all. I had to go back and, and play it before this podcast just to remember, you know, who some of the gym people were or. Uh, what what was the main character's deal? I, I can remember everything about the the very first Pokemon. Red and blue are burned and etched into my mind, and gold and silver for the most part are too. I, I can remember quite a bit, but Ruby and Sapphire, I couldn't tell you who the first gym leader was. I couldn't tell you what the starting town was. Uh, I, I couldn't. <laughs> I think I I didn't think I even knew what Hoenn was, which is the the uh, the area, the whole area that you're playing in. Uh, so it's just, it's not a game that I, I remember that fondly. The only thing I really do remember is having two stupid bikes when all I really needed was one bike. <laughs> and how I had to keep going around and switching and doing a bunch of shit. Oh, and I do remember another thing. I remember all the fucking water HMs. And that sucks. A lot, lot of A lot of surf, a lot of dive, a lot of whirlpool, a lot of uh, waterfall. I almost forgot about whirlpool myself. Ugh. God, and they're all bad except for surf. Surf is still a good move, and the other ones I never needed. And yeah, dive was really weird. It's just a water version of dig. Like what? Yeah, pool. Like whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I don't remember these games super fondly. And to be honest, I don't. This is kind of the start of me not remembering things about Pokemon. Uh, I I know that I caught a lot and played probably the most of Diamond and Pearl, I couldn't tell you anything about that game story. And I think that's because I've just kept one consistent game through that whole time, and and I only played through the gyms one time. And, and unlike uh, Gold, and, Gold and Silver or Red and Blue, where I played those multiple times and, and uh, really got a feel for those, I just, it, it never happened again with, with any of the Pokemons. And I, hell, I can't tell you anything about X and Y anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess Hoenn has kind of left a soft impression, but I still, like, even I have trouble recalling certain parts, but 
there's still certain parts for me that really stick out for me in the Ruby Sapphire generation. And a couple of things, they just didn't come back. Like, one thing I can mention right away is that the, the Hoenn region was the only place that had a gym that was modeled modeled after double battles. And yeah. That really struck that... me when I encountered them, because after, like, with every passing generation, I was wondering if they were ever, like, when they introduced triple battles, I was expecting a gym with, that was based on a triple battle gimmick, but it mm-hmm. never came. Yeah, I so yeah, I mean that that's a good uh, segue into into talking about what's new from from uh, Gen two to Gen three here. Uh, so yeah, we had double battles. They, that was you bringing in two Pokemon at the same time. Uh, all the moves from previous generations had got revamped, and I think there were a whole host of new moves too that that came in. Uh, and all of those moves had to have extra functions, or, or a lot of them had extra functions when paired when, when there were four Pokemon on the battlefield. So a move like Earthquake, uh, which in any previous generation is just a, a ground move that you that you use and the, it hits the other Pokemon or it doesn't, whatever. Uh, in this one, it hits everything on the battlefield except for uh, the Pokemon that used it. So the, it'll hit both of the opponent's Pokemon and your Pokemon. So uh, this this led to some, some higher strategy, so maybe you'd want to have a flying Pokemon in, in that other slot so it would it wouldn't be affected by the ground move. Uh, or, yeah. or you'd want to yeah. take advantage of one of the other new features of Gen 3, abilities. Uh, which, I mean, uh, you want to just explain abilities a little bit real quick? Yeah, sure. I mean, I loved abilities. I mean, abilities were a turning point for me. I think they really helped define this generation as as something that was going to be important from to from generations to come. Yeah, but, it's like without the introduction of without Ruby and Sapphire introducing abilities, like certain Pokemon in the newer generations are just completely defined by their ability. Like, like uh, that uh, that Bug Ghost man. I always forget. Oh, Shedinja. Mm-hmm. Shedinja is completely defined by his ability because. He takes no damage unless it's super effective. And without that ability, you would never think about using this thing. Right. I mean, Shedinja is the dive kick of Pokemon. Uh, he's got one HP. Uh, it never gets higher than that. And he can only be hit by super effective moves. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, abilities, I mean, each each Pokemon had their own special talents that would uh, that would change the way battles worked. So uh, some... some uh, Pokemon would have a, an ability called Levitate, which uh, meant they weren't affected by ground moves. So something, uh, so you didn't just have to be a flying type to not be affected by ground moves anymore. You might be able to uh, be like, uh, I'm trying to think of a Pokemon with Levitate, and I'm not thinking of one. Gengar. Sure. Okay, so yeah, Gengar, who, who is poison and would be normally super effective, uh, would, have, would be super weak against uh, ground moves, now has Levitate, and he doesn't have to worry about them at all. So that obviously raises the stock of Gengar when you're thinking about how many people might use the move Earthquake, which is a pretty powerful and uh, and common move. So uh, so these abilities really helped to uh, pick out to make Pokemon even even stronger or uh, maybe less good in somebody's eyes, or or you could really build teams around uh, those abilities uh, in some cases. Um, yeah, abilities ran the gamut of being super useful, like Levitate, that always works, too. A little more situational, like Pikachu's ability being static, that only worked 
not only did it only work 30% of the time, but it'll only work if they actually make contact, like if they use tackles. So it's a little bit more situational. It's really nice when it happens. It can turn the tide, but abilities really, really appraised the value of certain Pokemon in certain places, and not all of them got, not all of them hit the ability jackpot. Right. I mean, some abilities, uh, this is something you mentioned in your article, uh, some abilities sound good on their surface. So like, uh, so like uh, Sharpedo's Rough Skin, uh, it each the it kind of works like a uh, like a spikes I guess almost like if a if a character hits your uh, your Pokemon your Sharpedo it'll take a, a little bit of damage too a physical attack um, but Sharpedo's defense is so low to begin with that when he gets hit by a physical attack he's already going to be in trouble so he can't really use that rough skin ability very well at all. Uh, but there are, there are other Pokemon that might have rough skin that, that would be much better with it. Uh, I'm trying to think of a Pokemon with a high defense stat that has rough skin, and this is just me forgetting more about Pokemon again. Uh, well, that's just the thing. Rough skin was such, like, for, like, some abilities were just so good, and then people within the fan base were just like, why is it only, because it's just not high distribution. Rough skin, for the longest time, for my knowledge, was just limited to Sharpedo up until X and Y, and... Mm. The most common, like, just many talk. The most common, the best user of rough skin right now in the current generation is uh, guard shop, and even then, it's a hidden ability, so you have to work a little bit to get that. Mm, okay. Uh, so, uh, so now we have abilities. We have double battles that that really changed up a lot of things. Uh, we also introduced natures, and uh, do you want to talk about natures, Marcel? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, nature is like for better or for worse. Like nature, like me and nature is like you know, I like to battle. I like to battle semi-competitively, and that means min-maxing as much as you can. And for better or for worse, nature's. I have a love-hate nature. I have a love-hate relationship with nature because yeah, it's a great thing to have, but it's also dependent on your luck because you want to catch a Pokemon with a good nature, which we'll define later, but. You're gonna. You're probably gonna catch like five Pokemon with the exact nature you don't want them to have. Sure. I mean, you describe natures in your in your article as you know. This is kind of where the the boys and the men that this is the the cutoff here. Like, if if you understand what natures are and are actively going out searching for the right nature, you you have a higher level of thinking or caring about creating a really good team. And and I think this is where we start to kind of fork, uh, because I usually didn't care. Uh, that, that I mean, you talk about how uh, getting a Zangoose with a Jolly nature is important because Zangoose already Zangoose will really uh, benefit from that extra speed uh, because he'll get uh, a, the nature denotes that he gets a ten percent bonus to speed, uh, and then he gets a ten percent negative bonus or uh, subtraction from uh, a different uh, ability of his. Yeah, if you if you stat. read if you read uh, strategies like at any length, you will see these natures pop up again now like like all the time. Like for Pokémon who are like are physically based, you will hear like if you're talking about Pokémon that are fast and want to hit hard physically, you will hear the word jolly over and over and over because those are natures that boost speed at the expense of at the expense of an attack an attack type that they don't use. Like Alakazam could 
it might want to be timid because it's not going to physically attack. It's going to use its special attack. And Zongoose, on the other hand, will be jolly because at the, his expense will be special attack. So you'll see nature, you'll see very specific natures pop up over and over again because it's just a very, a somewhat wide subset of what kind of nature you're looking for, for different roles and how Pokemon, how you want to train specific Pokemon. Sure. Just as a side note, uh, Zangus is one of those Pokemon that pisses me off the most because uh, he's like a modern, or he's a more modern Nidoking and that he can learn all these really great special attack moves. You can you can teach a Zangoose Flamethrower, Thunderbolt, and, and Ice Beam. And I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. And he sucks at special attacks. So it's useless to have something like that. Uh, I just, I know I loaded him up like that before, and it, it really angered me that he wasn't effective at all. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny because uh, Neo King, I mean, I'll just get into the nitty gritty. Like, Neo King, yeah, he has really great. He has really great. He has a really great move pool with special attacks, mm-hmm. especially when I gave him. Uh, I think it was sheer force, where his attacks are boosted at the expense of not having additional effects like paralysis on his moves. Mm-hmm. That really defines him. Even though on paper his stats are kind of middling, all these extra boosts you could give him like really stand out. Or on the other hand, I, I actually have a Zon boost I really like right now, and he's kind of situational, but. God damn, he hits like a truck when you use him in conjunction with his ability, which is toxic boost. It's like a full 50% boost to his attack whenever he's poisoned. So he's basically uh, a glass cannon. So, sure. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, the moves that you have for him, those would all be physical moves, right? Yeah, they would all be physical moves, yeah. yeah. Um, so Sorry about that little rant. <laughs> that's, just, that's just one thing that I always remember not liking. Um, uh, so we talked about natures, we talked about abilities, we talked about the new Pokemon, uh, we talked about double battles. Uh, the only other thing that I can really even think of that, that was super new, uh, was the idea of Pokemon contests. Uh, there were, uh, was it just, was it one or two cities in the, in the game that you could have, that you could go to this special building that would be set up for Pokemon contests? Might have just been one. Uh... I think it really stands out as two. I think there is one where you get. I think there was one that like got you started, and I think there was a second stage where there was super contest, or it might oh, be confusing okay. that was the later generations with super contest. Yeah, I, I know that there are supposed to be different levels. I I think I competed in one contest, thought it was lame, and never did it again. Uh, but I guess this was uh, Game Freak's way of saying, "Hey, you can play Pokemon without." You can play Pokemon in so many different ways. It, it doesn't always have to be battling, man. You could just, you could make Pokemon for contests and and get ribbons, and and that's your way of of being your own style of Pokemon master. And and I guess that's cool for for people who want to do that. I just I just never thought it was that great. Um, but the idea with Pokemon contests moves, uh, eat, all your Pokemon's moves were given um, a different, another different type. Uh, for specifically for these contests, so moves could have a beauty aspect, or a cool aspect, or a cute aspect, or smart or tough. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember the one time I did it. I think I used a Blaziken, so he had Blaze Kick, and I think Blaze Kick was a cool move. And so you use that move, and then I guess you'd be judged, and depending on different ratings. 
that you had. I, I don't know. There were, it was a lot of different hidden value things or not so hidden values, or it was a different page on the summary and I never went to it. Um, so I didn't do well in contests. Uh, yeah, I think we all tried contests at one point or another because I believe there are certain items you can only get from the contest or maybe a TM, but no. That could be. Most of the time I just think you'd get into it a little bit in order to get the item and then that would be it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was never something I really got into, but uh, for people who wanted to, to do that, they, they certainly could. And then winning Pokemon would get ribbons that would then show up on their summary page so you could see say, hey... I've really decked this Pokemon out by increasing its beauty or cool into into something awesome that would win a contest. Um, yeah, I, I never used it. I think I coerced my friend one time into uh, into using the Pokeblocks that would give that would up the stats for those beauty, cool, cute, smart, tough uh, things just to get a melodic. Uh, which was, uh, in my opinion, the only reason to do any of that stuff. Um, and I hate Melodic for that for that one reason, that it is so damn hard to evolve. Uh, for Melodic, um, there was a Pokemon called Feebas that looked like an even sadder Magikarp. And uh, the only way for it to evolve into uh, Melodic, which was like a, I guess, a more feminine version of a, of a Gyarados, um, you'd have to max out Feebas's beauty stat. And to do that, you'd have to give it special, specific pokey blocks that you'd have to go through this stupid minigame to get and then feed it to it and then, you know, cross your fingers and hope that that time was enough to get melodic. And, uh, and thankfully, I had a friend who, who did it once and was okay doing it again. I think I might have even slipped him up, <laughs> slipped him and Abraham Lincoln to say... I just don't want to deal with this. Can you get me one, please? Ugh. It was definitely analogous to Magikarp Gyarados, except somehow even more tiring and cumbersome. Like, at least Magikarp, you can stick in the front back then, just switch them out and eventually become a Gyarados. But right. Imagine was it tiring to grind out those beauty Pokeblock. Like, thankfully, since Pokeblocks don't exist now, like, they've changed, they've changed, they've changed Phoebus's evolution method. And, you know, I think Melodic is kind of cool on paper. and It's mm-hmm. mostly a defensive type of water Pokemon, but it's just so much trouble. And even in later generations, he kind of gets outclassed with other bulky defensive Pokemon. So I, I don't think I've ever um, evolved one in any case. I think I've always just uh, traded for one or, or had somebody else get one for me. What's the, what's the new way to evolve a Melodic? Uh, let's see. It's been a while. Uh, I believe, oh, it's probably not it, but a lot of times, a lot of times in later generations, uh, they've gotten around certain aspects of that were, became obsolete by just having a locational evolution. Like, oh, right. Since Eevee, since Eevee gained like Leafeon and, Leafeon and Glaceon and Diamond and Pearl, and they only evolved in specific locations, uh, they just fix that by just having brand new locations that were evolution specific. So that's probably not the case with Phoebus, but a lot of times, uh, it's oftentimes what they do for certain Pokemon with obsolete evolution, evolutionary methods. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I just remember for X and Y, I, uh, <laughs> I just traded one on the, on the global trade network system, whatever. Cause I thought, you know what? I don't remember how to get this. 
and I don't want to go through the trouble anyway, so fuck it. <laughs> uh, I found it. It's uh, it's an item tree. Uh, okay. Marvel scale. All right. So that yeah, that makes some sense, I suppose. Um. Anyway. Wait. So uh, so we've got we've got a new Magikarp. Yay, everything. Uh, but yeah, Pokemon contests. So those are really the the things I can think of when I when I think back to Ruby and Sapphire of the new stuff. I mean, there were there were some new Pokeballs. Um, all the Apricorns uh, that that came in from Gold and Silver are now gone, um, and all the Pokeballs that went with that are, are gone too. So so now we have new Pokeballs like the Netball, which catches uh, water and bug Pokemon a little more effectively. Or a repeat ball, so Pokemon that you've caught before, they're easier to catch. Pokemon that are already in your Pokedex, uh, they're easier to catch now using that ball. And uh, and so those those kind of made it a little easier or uh, were situationally easier for catching some d- different kinds of Pokemon. Yeah, side note, like where I mentioned like just catching tons of Pokemon, looking for the right generation, uh, looking for the right nature. Like I just found this out. In more recent years, but yeah, repeat ball is really useful for yeah. that one purpose for catching just the right Pokemon. Sure. So, yeah. And and I bet when they when uh, Game Freak implemented that, it was knowing that you know this is going to be for those really hardcore players. Uh, when when I would look at it and go, why would I want to catch a second thing of something I already have? That that's ridiculous. So I don't think I ever really bought repeat balls. Yeah. <laughs> Which again just shows you that split. Uh, can you think of anything else that uh, that I didn't mention uh, that's new for for Ruby and Sapphire? We, I mean, we have a new a whole new area. You can't go to Johto or Kanto; uh, it, it's only Hoenn. Uh, I believe, in terms of core mechanics, uh, we left out weather, which is kind of oh right. Even, even during that generation, it was kind of niche. Like both double battles and the weather mechanic had a really slow burn; they didn't really catch on in that generation. But in later generations, they got really expanded upon. Right, uh, Sunny Day and Rain Dance were still moves uh, in in a uh, Generation Two, right? I don't believe so. Really? Because uh, I think a, I think a big clue to remembering this is because uh, Cast Form was a new Pokemon they introduced in Hoenn, right? And Cast Form is specifically their gimmick Pokemon to introduce the weather uh, weather mechanic because Cast Form changes forms based on weather. Okay. Yeah, I I will I will concede concede that point. Um, I don't I don't remember really well anyway. Uh, but yes, yeah, so so we had uh, weather effects, and uh, there were some Pokemon that could take advantage of that with their abilities. And uh, this uh, is something you touched upon in your article. Um, the the weather there were weather teams that that came out for competitive play. Um, and I'm sorry, you're right. Weather was introduced in Gold and Silver. Okay. All right, but, I, yeah, but, it, uh, like, but I, yeah, the slow burn thing still take. Yeah, they're much more expanded upon in uh, Ruby and Sapphire. Right, because things like abilities were able to uh, to really take advantage of of those things. Like you mentioned, um, Swift Swim or Chlorophyll, where Pokemon's speed stats are are boosted when a weather effect is happening, or uh, or some Pokemon like the two uh, the two legendaries. Uh, the two titular reg- legendaries of the games uh, for Ruby and Sapphire um, would, when they came out, they would cause a weather effect. So Groudon would cause a, a sunny day effect to happen, uh, or Kyogre would would come out and, and Rain Dance would would automatically start 
Uh, and then I think uh, Tyranitar, Tyranitar too would would come out with a Sandstream, which was just starting a sandstorm. Yeah. Um, and and so those were pretty uh, were pretty uh, I mean kind of broken ways to set up your your uh, uh, your strategies without having to burn a move that doesn't actually do any damage. Um, so, yeah. so those guys actually broken since those since those ability specific weather effects were permanent back then. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, I remember playing against my friend. Uh, I, I didn't actually play that many multiplayer battles of, of Pokemon ever, but uh, during this generation, I guess I did because we were in we were in high school. We were close by, uh, but <laughs> it was just me bringing out my Groudon because I had Ruby. And then him countering that with his Kyogre to, to stop my heart to stop my harsh sunlight and, and make it rain, and then he would just crush me anyway because he was a little bit better than I was. Um, but yeah, those those effects, you're right, they they were permanent uh, for those guys uh, for their abilities anyway, and uh, that would they would really affect the way battles were played because in with uh, the rain out, uh, water Pokemon or water moves get a get an extra is it 1.5 or is it a whole double it's a 1.5 okay so 1.5 power boost uh sunny day would do the same for for fire moves and they would also half the damage of um of you know the opposite so for rain uh fire would be weakened or for sun water would be weakened um but yeah, I, I mean, this is this is kind of a place where I want to uh, I want to send it to you and just uh, have you kind of talk a little bit more about metagame and, and talking about um, strategy and and coming up with uh, teams that can really work with with some of these weather effects or, or even just in general. Uh, yeah, um, weather was weather was interesting. Like like I said before, weather kind of had a slow burn. Uh, it was definitely powerful back then, but I like to say that up until up until X and Y, because in X and Y they they nerfed those abilities. The very reason those abilities were very valuable was because they were permanent, and in X and Y they were nerfed to last as long as they were they were nerfed to last as long as five turns, which is the same thing as their moves. Though I guess in the move in the sense for the move you'd only get four because you'd have to spend a turn to actually use it. For and for them they just come out and know what happened. But yeah, I like to say that up until X and Y, uh, most of a lot of the battles were just wet. There was just always a rain team. Because rain was really dominant, especially in Diamond and Pearl, because it was just so easy just to put up rain, and then you would just have a, swift swim, a Pokemon a Swift Swim, and they'd probably use Swords Dance, and maybe 70 or 80% of the time, they'd be able to just sweep, just straight sweep the entire team, unless, unless the other person just had the foresight to have a strategy to counter rain. So... A lot, of, a lot of right after Ruby and Sapphire, a lot of strategies were defined by weather. Like weather was oftentimes weather can oftentimes be found because of, because of Kyogre, you would find it really often in Ubers, where it's a tier of play that's mostly uh, mostly defined by the legendaries. Though certain really powerful Pokemon like Tyranitar, Tyranitar is just so strong that sometimes he would appear in Ubers alongside the likes of Mewtwo or Kyogre or what have you. And weather was just... Weather was one piece that would define the metagame of Ruby and Sapphire and onwards. And we, and we have Ruby and Sapphire to thank for that, the weather metagame. Uh, let's see. I think... 
uh, well, I didn't really come prepared very well, but abilities, like we said, really help. Abilities were another piece of the puzzle to constructing teams, kind of like how you wouldn't have an all-team, you wouldn't have an entire team made up of wire Pokemon. You would construct a balance so that you would have a wire type, and if you were worried of an electric type, you would have a ground type. But abilities further define team construction, like Gengar back then was... Gengar before Ruby and Sapphire was pretty good because he had good special attack. You would punch holes in Pokemon who are weak against special attacks, usually Psychic or Water. Uh, usually Gengar would have Thunderbolt back in this time. And with his new ability, he gets Levitate Ruby and Sapphire. He, it just takes out one It just takes out one glaring weakness, which was ground attacks. Mm-hmm. So not only would he be able to... what Not only would he be immune to ground attacks, but Let's say if you brought in an electric type, like let's just say, for example, Magneton, and your opponent, obviously, he throws in maybe Doug Trio. He, he soaks up the Thunderbolt because he's immune, and he's obviously going to use Earthquake if you're thinking in basic terms. So, you know, in a lot of battles, if you've never seen how these battles work out, it's not uncommon to see switch after switch after switch because it's really important to preserve your Pokemon right. in most cases. Right. Yeah. So... In this example, you would just bring out your Gengar. Uh, he would just fly over Earthquake harmlessly. And in most cases, in this particular stage, in this particular situation, you'd see a lot of switches, and Gengar is in a really good position because, in most cases, in my experience, Dugtrio, he, he might hit him with something like, I don't know, Rock Slide, but for the most part, Gengar doesn't really worry about that. So Gengar is sitting in a position where he can just throw out an attack and nine times out of ten, He's either going to bravely injure Dogtrio or bravely injure whatever Pokemon that trainer is forced to switch in. Right. So right there, we have momentum because now Gengar is in a position to start momentum, and the other Pokemon, the other trainer is in a position is on a defensive position because he's forced to pick something that's going to eat an attack or just leave his Dogtrio to eat an attack. And in that case, he's forced to think, well, my Dogtrio is just dead weight now. So I might as well sacrifice them and give my incoming Pokemon switch advantage, which means he doesn't have to worry about bringing them in dry and taking an attack. Instead, he can just bring in on a brand new turn and start an even turn with Gengar. Right. So that's an example of that's an example of thinking of team construction and how how a normal battle between people who really really want to win how a battle will probably unfold. Did I lose you again? Uh, no. Oh, I was just, just wondering if you wanted to, uh, if you had anything to add to that. I don't know. Oh, um, I mean, yeah, I, that's uh, there's definitely uh, some strategy that goes into that. And on your uh, talking, ooh, I'm starting to hear an echo of myself. So, yeah. Uh, right. Um, that's coming in pretty loudly. Um. Can you hear an echo? Well, I guess you wouldn't be able to hear an echo of me, would you? Uh, a few minutes, like maybe ten minutes ago, I heard an echo, but I think it resolved itself. I guess now that I think about switches, I might as well go over like the whole switching mechanic. Like, if a person sees like, uh, honest to God, I want to win battle, they're bound to see a lot of switches. And switch advantage is another term that I don't think I even went over switch advantage a lot in my whole entire series. But switch advantage, just it's this whole mindset of. Who am I willing to switch in to take an attack, and who am I willing? Who am I willing to sacrifice towards this attack? 
because if he goes down, that gives my brand new Pokemon. Not only does that give me a chance to put in a stronger Pokemon in this sense, if Gengar just knocked out my first Pokemon, maybe I can bring in... I can't think of a counter off the top of my head, but I can bring in something that can soft counter Gengar, and he doesn't even have to worry about taking a free attack because he's going to come in, and if I'm lucky, my soft counter is actually faster. So I can start putting some... I can either threaten Gengar with an attack, because Gengar is not a particularly hardy Pokemon, or I can force him out and do the same thing that Gengar did to me, force a switch, and that incoming Pokemon is going to just basically eat damage for free. Sure. sure. And then there are uh, special uh, abilities, special like when we're talking about Dugtrio, uh, he would have uh, move, uh, the ability Arena Trap, which, uh, uh, yes. which is something which is, that you mentioned, you mentioned where you kind of get like a revenge kill of... Uh, Maybe your electric Pokemon took out my water Pokemon, so now I'm bringing out uh, Doug Trio that has uh, Arena Trap, and then you cannot take your electric Pokemon out this time. Yeah, um, Arena Trap was uh, pretty not the beginning of the revenge kill mindset, but it's a good it's a good place to start where they're trapped and uh, they're pretty much done for, especially since Doug Trio is so fast. Uh, the basic mentality of revenge killing meaning that either, well, basically the example I just provided, which is they're either going to kill the Pokemon that they're, you just dry-switched on because they're really weak and the Pokemon you switched in is fresh and fast, or they're going to switch out and you're going to do a lot of damage to the incoming Pokemon. It's, uh, situations like after you knock out a Pokemon, it's, you're either going to build momentum or it's, 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 a, it's a chance to build a lot of momentum to like start a steamroll, but it's also a really critical juncture as to like what's going to come out next because it's going to potentially just just completely wall me and stall my momentum, and I got to think around this, which also makes me think of uh, the whole like constructing teams is one half of it, but a lot of times in battle it's just raw prediction and like trying to predict patterns, kind of like a game, like a card game. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a lot of battles unfold where. You throw out, let's just use Gengar again. You throw out a really, you think it's really obvious that you bring down Gengar. And you think that, he thinks that he's probably going to think that you're going to switch out because you're really feeling threatened by it. So, oh man, I've lost myself in this (laughs) whole think, think, think. But let's just start from zero again. Like if you, maybe, maybe your opponent is thinking, oh, he's weak. He's going to switch to something that will counter Gengar. So I'm going to switch in something that will counter that. But for the purposes of this example, maybe you fake him out. Maybe he brings out maybe something else that's weak to your Pokemon because he's expecting a switch, but you stay in. And I probably explained this really badly, but you can see, hopefully you can see where I'm coming from this, where it's like you fake him out and you stay in instead, or you double switch. A double switch where it's like, Oh yeah, double switches. This is where I was going to go originally, but you switch in a Pokemon that threatens buttons that threatens them to switch, but instead of staying in, you switch again, and suddenly you have a Pokemon that can potentially absorb an attack really well and stay in and threaten once again. So that's kind of in a layman's terms the concept of a double switch. I mean, even the idea of using a different move, uh, like. Uh... I don't want to. I don't want to get right all the way back to our examples, but uh, you know, Gengar is able to pull from such a big pool of moves that uh, you know he 
like if you were switching out to bring in, you know, I don't know, a dark Pokemon probably to, to counter a ghost, uh, that instead of using the ghost or psychic move that, that Gengar might use to be super effective against whatever was out there before, maybe you know that they're going to switch switch in maybe that dark Pokemon so you have him, you know, use Thunderbolt instead that, that might do uh, a lot of, still do a decent amount of damage to that the new Pokemon that came in. Because you, because they thought you were going to use Psychic or, or Shadow Ball or something like that, and yeah, it, it, it just gets to a point where it's so ridiculous of all the combinations and all the variations and all the possibilities that could happen that it becomes a pretty complex game, uh, and I guess that's why people still still play it and play. Yeah, it it's just people talk about all the time about uh, Game Freak or Nintendo, uh, mostly Game Freak, reusing ideas and. I don't really see that as a case because even Pokemon that appear similar to previous iterations, like, uh, well, you know, let's just leave it at that. But Pokemon that appear similar to previous generations, they probably function a lot differently. Like, uh, Weaving is a really defensive poison type Pokemon. So if you take a look at newer, newer generations of Pokemon who are like poison and have a similar, like, smoggy, garbage like uh, design, design standpoint, you might think it looks like it looks like a coffee or muck or garbled or mm-hmm. but it functions completely differently. It, it's probably really fast and it probably hits really hard as opposed to Weaving's more defensive playstyle. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think this is a good uh, place to kind of get into uh, more specific talks about Pokemon things. So, uh, like, we've mentioned a couple specific Pokemon in this, but, I mean, do you have a favorite uh gen 3 pokemon or, or something from this this time that that you were really playing a lot with or or something uh, that you cared um, about i want to say agron but uh honestly agron isn't all that good yeah uh, you know you'll, you'll always find people who play the game they still play competitively but they construct teams with the sole purpose of supporting their favorite pokemon like for example me like agron has a lot of Agron on paper is really cool. He's basically a metal rhino. Yeah. But yeah, but since he's both steel and rock, which is really overkill, he's got it's a really paradoxical, like the highest defense of any Pokemon you can probably think of right now. But he's four times weak against fighting and four times weak four times weak against ground. So all the defense means he's got pretty okay defense if they just know Earthquake. Mm-hmm. But uh you know, barring my favorite, Agron, uh, I definitely say that Dusclops, which was introduced in this generation, was a really was a really cool and uh, well well received competitive Pokemon because in the same vein of Agron, Dusclops was uh, a really not only was he defensive, but he offered a really a really different take on the whole defensive role because Dusclops had really high defense but he had really low health for some reason. But uh, a, common, a common move learned amongst ghost types, Pain Split, which just averages the health between Pokemon, well, Dusclops will always have low health, but he has high defense. So he can take, a, he can take an attack, but he can use Pain Split to just immediately gain health back and at the same time do damage because the health being averaged out almost always favors Dusclops. Huh. And that's, just, that's just one example of like, there are different different Pokemon can fulfill different roles. Like sweepers, sweeper is a term 
usually they usually call a really fast, really strong Pokemon a sweeper because he's fast and he hits hard. So right. EVs are naturally fast, and they'll usually use like a choice band that adds a 1.5 modifier to their attack stat, or they'll use Swords Dance. So in most cases, hopefully they outspeed whatever they encounter and just wreck shot. Or it can be a Pokemon that has a lot of attack, uh, but good speed. So in these cases, they'll use agility to boost their speed to the point where they don't have to worry about being outspeeded by anything they possibly encounter and just do a lot of damage in the process. So we got sweepers, we got defensive Pokemon we just described, like Dusclops, or uh, what did I say earlier? Well, Dusclops and, all oh, right, Weezing, mm-hmm. really defensive Pokemon. They're really good. In most cases, a defensive Pokemon is either going to stall, in which case, like, Weezing is a good example he takes health. He takes damage really well, and you would just stall by just poisoning the Pokemon with toxic and just stall it out. It's right. One of the right. most, one of the most infuriating strategies ever because you're, it's like, it's like your Pokemon is eating a really nice sandwich and is just rubbing <laughs> it in the face of just poor, starving, malnutrition Pokemon, <laughs> just lying there starving to death as he stares at this person eating a sandwich all condescendingly in front of them. Uh-huh. That, that's how I like to compare stall. But another another good another good function for defensive Pokemon is just uh, what we call pivots, where a lot of these switching a lot of these switching shenanigans we've described we described earlier, a pivot is really good because they can come in and nine times out of ten they can take a, they can take a wide variety of attacks really well. Like they can take usually they can take an attack from a sweeper and like they'll only take maybe one third if they're really good or like less than a half, which is really good in most cases because that means three attacks. Less than half means they'll need three attacks to kill them. And a pivot can come in, take that damage, and you can take your time to decide what can my pivot do, or if that forces a switch, maybe it can double switch, so on and so forth. So, so what, these different roles, these different, there's a lot of roles that are like, these are, there's a lot of roles to be found in the metagame that aren't necessarily described beyond, that aren't necessarily described beyond a rock type or a fire type or right. Pokemon was static. Now, what would be an example of uh, a pivot, like uh, like Blissey or like Snorlax or something like that? Uh, Snorlax is a good example, yeah, especially since he has attack to back that up. Snorlax just has a lot of HP. Snorlax is kind of a soft defensive type Pokemon because his defense doesn't necessarily come from his actual defense stats, but just from the sheer fact that he has a ton of HP to sponge those attacks. Mm-hmm. And Snorlax has pretty okay attacks, so he can come in, uh, his fat literally absorbs whatever attack gets thrown at him, and he can probably force a Pokemon out with the threat of, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a double edge or something like that. Something like that. Okay. Uh, how about this? How, how about I tell you a couple Pokemon that I really like from the Ruby and Sapphire generation, and you tell me if they are any good when it comes to metagame? Because I have uh, an okay. idea. Within the Ruby and Sapphire generation, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I really like Flygon. I think Flygon's pretty cool. Flygon's a pretty balanced dragon type. He doesn't exactly have any... He doesn't exactly have any shining points, but his typing alone is really useful. Dragon Ground, mm-hmm. I mean... Being ground type is always a blessing because that gives you one immunity. I mean, immunities aren't exactly something you can always count on, but being dragon type is also good because dragon just 
Dragon just naturally has good, great resistance, like resisting water, grass, fire, uh, electric. Just these cardinal elements, he can resist. He already he's already immune to electric, of course. And right. being ground type, he receives neutral damage from water, but it's still pretty good. And you know, yeah, he's pretty balanced, uh, pretty mediocre, but he's not bad. So you can definitely make him work with support. So. Okay, uh, I really like Metagross. Oh boy. Metagross is my favorite up until the current generation. But okay. for the purposes of an introduction, Ruby and Sapphire, he was just an absolute beast back when Steel was really good in this generation. Because he just hits hard. Not only does he hit hard naturally, but I mean, his speed is. Okay, well, I guess his speed is pretty bad, but he still learns agility, which is really good because you can boost his attack. So you just bring him in, maybe give him. Maybe give. Maybe. Maybe use agility. And all of a sudden, you have a sweeper on your hands who's going to really hurt you. And it doesn't hurt that he learns Meteor Mash, which Steel isn't a great offensive type. Meteor Mash isn't all that useful against... Because it's only really useful against Ice and Rock, for mm-hmm. the most part. But Amanda Ross using Earthquake is nothing to sneeze at, especially since you're probably going to have a hard time finding something that will hurt him, too. Right. I mean, Psychic Steel, you usually think you would use Fighting against Steel, but the Psychic type neutralizes that so he uses so he re, so he receives neutral damage from that so he's got some good defensive value and he definitely hits hard so he's definitely going to force some switches if you bring him in sure and i mean you'd have the same against dark too uh where you yeah. where steel would half that damage uh and then uh i've i've heard that uh that you like mudkip oh mudkip <laughs> i hear i hear you like mudkip yes oh, oh, oh. eight out of ten for that <laughs> yeah uh, Not too bad. Mudkip and his the Mudkip family and Swampert. Uh, I mean, in, in my opinion, Swampert was the first good, the first good water ground type. It's like later generations introduced newer water type water ground types, but Swampert really pioneered good water ground types because the first thing you think of when you use when you want to counter a water type is electric. Mm-hmm. But of course, Swampert is part ground, and he completely trivializes that. And the only thing that's really good against the water water ground type would be grass, which is an amazing four times weakness. But grass honestly doesn't see a whole lot of offensive potential. Usually, when you use a grass type, they're going to be mucking things up with like sleep powder or leech seed. You're not very. It's not very common that you'll find a grass Pokemon actually using grass types. So right. Flopper, I mean, its, it's best yeah. move is still Solar Beam, which is something that you know takes two turns to do. Like that's yeah. that's still the most powerful grass move, right? Yeah, so. well, for the most part, it's the most efficient one. I mean, we have like we've got the hyper beam versions of the elements, like Frenzy Plant, but nobody really uses moves like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I guess Petal Dance is still good, but that's that confuses you after, so that kind of is rough and it locks you into those turns. Uh, the only really good one I can think of would be Leaf Blade now, and that that came in later generations, but. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Leaf Blade because it's just got such low distribution, mm-hmm. and it's got such low distribution that you just want to make it work on the few Pokemon that actually learn it. Actually, actually did Trico? Actually, have a Skeptile yeah. outfitted to use Leaf Blade, and uh, if I remember correctly, Skeptile is actually better with special attacks than attacks, so uh, <laughs> my Skeptile is kind of an oddball using uh, Leaf Blade, and he has to use Swords Dance because... His attack is pretty meh compared to his special attack. So is is Mudkip the 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 best starter to pick in your opinion when it comes to Ruby and Sapphire? 
Yeah, in terms of the Ruby and Sapphire generation, Swampert and Mudkip were definitely pretty solid. They had, they were pretty bulky, which uh, in terms of describing bulky means that they can take a hit or two. It doesn't necessarily mean they're defensive, but bulk refers to their ability to take a straight hit or two. And Swampert had a pretty good Swampert had pretty good bulk, and of course, he gets. Uh, we haven't referred to it yet, but he gets stab on earthquake, which means same type attack bonus. Mm-hmm. So his earthquakes are naturally stronger than say Metagross. Well, that's kind of a stretch, but <laughs> Metagross is so powerful. But you know, an earthquake coming from Swampert is definitely definitely something you'd have to be careful of. Sure, uh, but I mean. Uh... Uh, up until this point, I, I think the the general rule of thumb from what I heard is that a starter Pokemon is not one that is going to be good in tournaments. Yeah, and yeah, I guess Swampert really was one of the first good competitive Pokemon. Like, competitive might be stretched. He might be, like in terms of the tiering, he might be closer to the borderline. But I guess borderline is better than Skeptar, Skeptile, like think Skeptile than UU, which is underused. Mm-hmm. Uh, can kind of saw some use back then, but the speed is just just weird. Like, you'd think something <laughs> that can hit that hard, you'd think something that can hit that hard and has such low defense would at least have good speed, but his speed is, Blaviken's speed is kind of meh during this generation. And that's, I mean, that's surprising from a from something that's both fighting and fire. Those sound like things that uh, fast Pokemon would come from. But just, yeah, that, that is kind of weird. Um, I mean, any anything else you want to talk about when it comes to specific Pokemon from this generation that were, were standouts? Uh, I'm, lo- I'm thinking about back to your article, and you were talking about uh, good Pokemon from before uh, that are still good now, like Gengar, Snorlax, Blissey, uh, Starmie, and then... Um, then something like Tyranitar became super big in this generation because of Sandstream, um, and uh, I'm trying. But I mean, is there any other standouts that if people are going back and playing Ruby and Sapphire, that you know they might want to pick up one of those because that's really going to be a, a big deal for them. I mean, none of these games are that hard when it comes down to it, and, and you can just yeah. grind out whatever. But still, well, I think it comes to no surprise that like every generation has. Every generation has a family of Pokemon they refer to as pseudo legendaries. They're Pokemon that Pokemon that aren't unique. They aren't like one of a kind, but they're still kind of one hard to catch and two hard to raise. And in that vein, Ruby and Sapphire had the the Salamence family, which come from Bagon mm-hmm. or Bagon. I always called it Bagon, but yeah, Sounds Bagon good. was a pseudo legendary. He's really hard to train because he's kind of a wimp, like a la Magikarp. And he doesn't evolve. I, I think he doesn't evolve into his first stage until like the mid thirties, which is really late for just the sec for for just the first stage. He evolves at level like around the thirties, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get to his final form until fifty, which is you know if you're playing a normal game, by the time you get to level fifty, you need something now to fight the elite four. You need something right now that'll be effective. You don't right. want to use a shellgun that's before level fifty to take into the elite four. You need something at level forty that's good now. Probably that, probably that Swampert you had. You've been training the entire game. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, also we have Heracross. Heracross, you know, he was back in Gold and Silver, and he's still good in Ruby and Sapphire. Heracross, 
I think it's safe to say that uh, in Ruby and Sapphire, we start to see this trend of fighting Pokemon being really good. And Heracross is definitely a contributor to that idea, being bug fighting. He had like a ton of attack. He had uh, he gained guts when they introduced ability. So I believe Flame Orb was introduced as a holdable item. So he would just hold a Flame Orb. He would get burned. And then suddenly, uh, suddenly he hits like a truck because he's burned. He has guts. And his Megahorn is just going to just make things evaporate when they get hit by it. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear you haven't uh, you haven't talked about Wobbuffet yet. Oh, Wobbuffet! Oh, <laughs> the classic, the classic standout. Why is this an Uber's Pokemon? I always forget. <laughs> Just thinking about Wobbuffet makes me think about my more recent encounters. Some of my more recent battles with my friends and X and Y. Is he still really annoying to fight X and Y? And Ruby and Sapphire, it was just as it was probably worse in Ruby and Sapphire. So. Wobbuffet. It's really weird. You catch him, you see his attacks, and he doesn't learn anything new. His attacks are counter or mirror or counter or mirror code. And basically, two attacks that take a physical attack or a special attack. He takes the attack and he returns the attack. He returns the damage to double. So basically, Wobbuffet's only attacks are attacks that pretty much guarantee that he's going to hit. Get, he's going to get hit first. But the thing about Wobbuffet is that. He's introduced Ruby and Sapphire, and his ability, which is pretty much unique to him, is Shadow Tag, which is basically a better arena trap because flying types, you know, arena trap, if you think about the flavor text of arena trap, it's like, oh, arena trap. Uh, the ground is raised and your Pokemon is trapped in this arena trap. Mm-hmm. But flying Pokemon can fly over it. They're not affected. Levitate too. But Shadow Tag is just, no. As soon as Wobbuffet comes in, you're stuck with whatever your Wobbuffet switched into. You're stuck. You're guaranteed to at least hit this thing. And this thing has pretty crap health, but he's got a ton of health. Like, <laughs> just a ton. Like, if, if you think Snorlax is fat, how does Wobbuffet fit all that fat under that blue skin of his? <laughs> so basically, the idea that makes Wobbuffet so infuriating is that all you need to do is make a guess. Do you use counter to counter an attack like Earthquake, or do you use Mirror Coat to counter an attack like Thunderbolt? If you guess right... In all likelihood, your Wobbuffet is going to survive, a ton of his HP is going to be taken off, and then suddenly your opponent is dead because they took off so much health because of his high health, and then he countered it with Mirror Move. There is no way they have enough health to sponge, just to sponge that much damage being sent back at double at the, at the double the value. And, you know, Wobbuffet was banished to Uber's uh, a space... A space reserved for Pokemon with uh, world world breaking psychic powers or <laughs> continent continent shifting mega powers. He was banished to Ubers because it pretty much means that Wobbuffet has a fifty fifty chance of revenge killing whatever you want. And God forbid, I mean, I think back in Ruby and Sapphire, if you throw a Wobbuffet out against a Wobbuffet, right. I think the game just ends because back then. <laughs> Shadow Tag did not make an exception for other Shadow Tag users, so the game would just end. It's just, oh, well, you're a dick. Yeah. Because now we can't do anything. I mean, there's still struggle, though, right? When they, I mean, it just would take forever to get that to that point. Yeah, but. and, uh, man, was that boring. <laughs> That's so... Uh, all right. Well, I think that can kind of end uh, our discussion about Ruby and Sapphire. Now, 
Uh, we are a little timely in the in the recording of this episode uh, because earlier this month, uh, Nintendo announced the uh, the remakes of Ruby and Sapphire, Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire uh, that'll be yes. coming out in November of, of 2014 on the 3DS. Um, Lovingly referred to as or as. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, we don't know a whole lot right now. We've seen a couple of possibly in-game. I mean, they're they're in-game, but I don't I don't know how to explain it exactly. We saw some images of uh, Kyogre and Groudon, and they were in 3D. So the idea is that we're going to be seeing a full overhaul of the graphics, at least. Uh, to something more like X and Y, and uh, and uh, we also see from the box art that they've shown, which is not necessarily final, uh, that they don't look quite like Groudon and Kyogre. Um, that they have some extra symbols and, and things on them. So the the prevailing idea right now is that Mega Evolutions will continue into this game, and at the very least, these two legendaries will have their own Mega Evolution um, forms. Um, so anything else that, that you know about this that I didn't mention or, uh, maybe some things that we would like to see out of, out of, uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire? Uh, it, it actually took me a while to figure out their Omega illusion. I was just browsing the forums. It didn't, it didn't hit me yet. Like, I mean, at first, for some reason, I thought they were alternate forms. And then someone on the forums I go to, so I was like, oh, Omega Evolution. And I'm like, how did I not think of that? <laughs> But, yeah, Mega Evolutions, uh, you know, importing the idea and story of Ruby and Sapphire into the, basically the X and Y framework. Uh, I think I think this is a good, I think it's a pretty safe bet that they're going to be introducing new Mega Evolutions. And I think it's a brilliant idea because usually when these remakes come around, like with Fire Red and Leaf Green that came around, like, you, you won't expect to see, you usually won't expect to see new Pokemon with exception to, like, Legendaries at the very edge of the Pokedex that you haven't seen yet because Nintendo just hasn't released them. Mm-hmm. But Mega Evolutions, I think, is a really brilliant idea because they're not going to introduce Mega Evolutions sit in this weird gray area in that they are not actually Pokemon that expand the Pokedex, but they're just alternate forms that give that give the base form a massive boost in stats. And I think it's this is like it's a, Ruby and the remakes provide ample opportunity to introduce new mega evolutions so that they're not in, they're not expanding the Pokedex in this remake, but you still get to see new forms for Pokemon, which can potentially introduce, which can potentially save a lot of Pokemon from obscurity and at least in the battle scene. Because like if I can mention X and Y and my love of Agron, you know, Agron's really situational. He's mm-hmm. situational at best. But when he got his mega evolution with Mega Agron, he became a lot more viable. Uh, oftentimes, people might describe him still as situational, but back then, situational meant difficult. But now, situational means uh, fun in most cases. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it takes some planning, but it's not as diff- But he's not as difficult to use compared to a base Agron. So, the introduction of new Mega Evolutions, especially since we see we see implications that you know Groudon and Kyogre. All evidence points to Mega Evolutions. And we have Blaviken right now, who has a Mega Evolution, but just Blaviken. Skeptile and Swampert aren't cool enough to have Mega Evolutions in X and Y. But when the remakes come around, I think, you know, there's beauty and symmetry. So in all likelihood, 
Skeptile and Swampert will also get Mega Evolution, because why not? Yeah, that would make yeah. some sense. Uh, let me throw out some questions to you and just uh, your opinion whether you think uh, these things will happen or not. So in Fire Red and Leaf Green, um, at the beginning they were very much like the original games in that you could only find the, the first 151, and it wasn't until after you beat the Elite Four uh, that you would get the expanded Pokedex and could find the rest of the thing, the rest of the Pokemon. Uh, and then you'd open up the islands where you could get uh, all those crazy legendaries by doing all sorts of weird shit and having to go to events and doing all that. Do you think that that's going to be the case again for for Omega Ruby and, and Alpha Sapphire? Are we just going to see those uh, those Ruby and Sapphire-specific Pokemon throughout the game and then get to a point where we can expand our Pokedex? Or do you think that with something like the Pokemon Bank and the Poke Transfer thing making all of these guys really readily available that we're going to see those guys right from the beginning? Uh, I think it's kind of a mix of both uh, because, I mean, if they if we talk about strictly, if we think about it as strictly a remake of the framework and how the game worked, Ruby and Sapphire, and turn it into a remake, uh, I believe back in Ruby and Sapphire, you could still find a couple of uh, old school Pokemon. Like, mm-hmm. I just think you remember catching a Pikachu back in Ruby and Sapphire. So, but you know, you definitely won't have the national decks right off the bat. I mean, it's been a recurring theme that. You only get the national decks after you only get the national decks after being the elite four. In which case, uh, the decks in your encounters would dramatically increase. I think in some cases, I think Diamond Pearl or Black and White, this new Pokemon would just straight up start showing up in old patches of the grass you pass by, and well, suddenly there's this new Pokemon you didn't see before because you beat the elite four and you have the national deck. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's definitely going to continue that tradition where uh, a select. Like the Hoenn decks, yeah, right. I, I think it's certainly a case of you'll only see select Pokemon native to Hoenn, and the Hoenn decks will be readily, will be available at first, and you'll have to you'll have to pass some sort of milestone in order to get an expanded national decks. But you're probably there's probably still going to be cases of specific ultra specific Pokemon that just aren't available unless they're legacy. So there's that. Okay. Um, what? Uh, if there are mega evolutions like we, we seem to think there are uh, going to be, uh, what are some Pokemon that you would like to see get mega evolutions? Ooh, for a second there, I thought I was going to be unprepared, but then I remembered, uh, <laughs> oh wait, or was Luxray later on? Uh, let's see. If I, well, actually, if we go back to the whole Phoebus and Magikarp thing, like, given a mega evolution wouldn't be entirely out of the idea for Melodic, since Melodic is very Melodic and Phoebus are very analogous to Magikarp and Gyarados, and right. Gyarados got a Mega Evolution, so it'd be cool if Melodic got a Mega Evolution. Evolution, I don't see where that would come from. Uh, I think a different answer, besides from referring the cheating, referring to uh, our past examples, I think it'd be really cool if Hariyama got a Mega Evolution. Okay. Har- Hariyama is that sumo Pokemon, yeah. that sumo themed fighting type, and he. He's really good. Uh, he's definitely fallen out of favor lately because of, you know, just the power creep, new generations, new fighting types and stuff. Uh, he's still viable, but I think giving him a mega evolution would be really cool. Giving him a new boost and a new lease of life, a lease on life. And uh, also, speaking of, and also Cacturn. Cacturn I always thought was cool. Mm, yeah. I think he's dark grass or just grass. Yeah, you're right, dark grass. Yeah. But, you know, 
Cat turns really unfortunate because he has, just like how I was talking about earlier with Blaziken, he's got great attack, but he doesn't have a whole lot. Of, he doesn't have a whole lot of other things going for him. Like he doesn't have good bulk, and he doesn't have. He's. I mean, he's a cactus. He doesn't have good speed. He's rooting the ground as you think of a cactus. But I think a uh, mega mega evolution not only boosting the stats would be one thing, but you know, mega, usually mega evolution is also just it's just the game designer's chance to say, okay, screw it. It's Mega Evolution. He just wiped his slate clean. Now he's practically a brand new Pokemon. Let's give him a completely. Let's give him a different ability that would really benefit him, and give him some new stats that would make him really viable. So, Cacturn, Pariyama. Oh, I hope so. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I what I'd answer for myself. Um, uh, I really I'm a big Dragonite fan. I think Dragonite's pretty cool, and uh, that'd be a nice legacy one to to give a. a evolution to uh, I, a lot of the ones you mentioned are, are kind of underused Pokemon or, or forgotten ones in, in a way. And I think that really helps, uh, helps get them back into the, into the fold when you, when you give them mega evolution. So something like Manectric that, uh, that I couldn't ever remember anybody ever using that, but when he got a mega evolution, that was something somebody had to have so they could try that out. Um, oh man, I, I actually use mega I actually have all the Mega Evolutions incorporated somehow because that's how I find fun. Like, yeah. yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, like I just extend my game time by just training competitively and making these theoretical teams. And I found Mega Manectric to be a lot of fun because he's basically he's basically blazing fast and uh, intimidate. He has intimidate. He gains intimidate, which lowers attack when he comes in. So basically, you take that speed, give him Volt Switch. He comes in, hurts goes out, he's already intimidated them, and you can switch to whatever you want. That's, a, that's kind of an example of an offensive pivot. Instead mm-hmm. of coming in to absorb damage, he comes in to just switch to something else while doing damage, which usually U-turn or Volt Switch. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I also really like... Um, I've always liked Electabuzz, and I, so I think Electivire would, would have a cool Mega Evolution, and, and by the same token, I think Magmortar could have a pretty cool one, too, where you just make those guys even more ridiculous. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Mega Evolution, a Mega Evolution or a Metagross earlier, because... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of sad, like, with the nerf of Steel in the recent generations, like, like I still have a Metagross, and I love using them. He's actually from Emerald. Like, mm-hmm. I transfer them all the way up until X and Y. Oh, really? Yeah, but when they nerf Steel by uh, making Steel neutral against Dark and Ghost... It, got kind of sad for Metagross because he didn't seem to take hits nearly as well as he used to. So a Mega Evolution for Metagross would be his chance to, like, for a relatively quick turnaround. I mean, the next in a while, he just kind of got nerfed kind of badly. But if if the Auras remakes come out, it would be a relatively short turnaround for Metagross's fall, fall to shame and return to the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I, I mean... I- if, unless you can think of anything else, I think we've we've pretty much well covered uh, this uh, this whole topic here the the Ruby and Sapphire and the upcoming games here Omega Ruby and, and Alpha Sapphire that come out in November. Um, you think anything else? Uh, oh, this popped in my head. Loudred, maybe a Mega Loudred. Yeah, I could go for that. Pretty cool. The, the only reason Loudred is relevant now is because they in X and Y they introduced uh, Boom Burst and only. I think only two Pokemon can learn Boombers. Uh, one of them doesn't get stabbed, so it's kind of okay. And the other one is Loudred, which not only 
not only is it powerful, but you get stab off of it. But Ladrid has relatively lousy stats. But if you give him, if you give him a chance, if you give him a single chance to switch in and just use Broom Burst, like he's just going to disintegrate whatever whatever is in front of that pressure wave of pure sound that is Boom Burst. They're most likely going to disintegrate. And uh, now that I'm thinking about Loudred and this place and even Broom Burst, so Mega Evolution for Loudred to improve him would be kind of scary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, cool. Um, Marcel, do you have any uh, anything you'd like to plug? Uh, you mentioned that you were writing on Destructoid. Uh, where can where can people find some of your writing or, or other things that you're doing right now? Uh, yeah, I pretty much I'm pretty much in the same vein as Bitmob, kind of just a community member over at Disruptoid. Uh, I've had a couple of my works uh, front page. Uh, most of my time, that's worth note at Disruptoid is uh, just as a, a recapper. I help I help the community feel good about themselves by recapping their blogs and making them feel good that they're getting a second chance to get some views and page clicks. Uh, yeah, uh, still working on the whole freelancing situation. Uh, but yeah, pretty much right now, my whole writing uh, my whole writing gig is pretty much a labor of love. And uh, yeah, well, cool. I, well, I used to do a podcast over on that, but it's similar to how we're, similar to how we're recording a podcast. Uh, well, my day job is working at Disneyland Parks, yeah. and if people if people don't realize, uh, I sk- a, sk- a schedule working for Disneyland is kind of erratic. So <laughs> I had to drop I had to drop my beloved podcast over and community podcast over at Destructoid because I just couldn't line up a time to uh, record together with other people from across on Skype. So that was right. kind of sad, but it still exists on iTunes. So that podcast was uh, the Detroit. Detroit C Block Fatcast. If you Google it, okay. um, if, if you iTunes search it, you'll know it because there's only one. There's only two. There's only two. There's only two results. My <laughs> podcast and uh, a single result from a, what I believe is a feminist feminism podcast. So oh, there you don't go. click on that. <laughs> uh, do you have a Twitter or something that you'd like to uh, pimp if somebody wants to see what you're writing there? Ah, uh, yes. I'm going to have to spell this out because it uses my last name. Okay. Uh, on Twitter, I am uh, at Strider. It's still one word, but at Strider Hong. It's H O A N G. Uh, I won't get into specifics of pronouncing that in ethnic terms, but <laughs> I just tell I just tell that's not into words. I just tell white people that it's Hong. That's that's fair. Uh, I I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I've had that name mentioned on podcasts before, and they always have they either have trouble pronouncing it or they just Screw it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, as far as uh, this show goes, uh, you can find us on GamersOnTheGo.com or uh, on Twitter at GOTG Podcast. Uh, you can write into the show uh, GOTG Podcast at gmail.com or you can just leave us an ask on our Tumblr. Um, and uh, let me ask you this last one, last question here, Marcel. Um, the the yes, next. Buy our ads. Huh? Oh, that wasn't a question. Oh, I, I will definitely buy a Raz. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the Pokemon trading card game for the Game Boy Color? Oh, that man. That was like the only trading card game related game I had ever played. And yeah. Man, thinking about it now is weird. <laughs> it's like, it's like Yu Gi Oh! weird. Yeah. It's well, like, 
people like I'm playing this game where I exist in a world where card games are some kind of national sport or murder ball type thing. Uh, yeah, I, I it was always a game I really enjoyed. Uh, I had played. Uh, I don't think I had actually played a lot of the actual card game. Um, but I got this game because it was another Pokemon game, and I got really into it, which got me really into the actual trading card game, and then I bought way too many of those damn cards. Um, but uh, that's going to be the next episode of the show. We're going to give you a double dose of Pokemon here at Gamers on the Go. Uh, we'll be having on uh, having on another guest here to talk about uh, the Pokemon trading card game, and uh, and I hope that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah? Pokemon card I own with a Dugong, Ooh. and then I lost it. <laughs> oh man really sad yeah that's that's disappointing well uh marcel i want to thank you for coming on uh it's it's been great talking about uh pokemon ruby and sapphire uh i'm only about halfway through this game that i started uh for this podcast and even though i know that i'm going to break down and buy omega ruby or, or alpha sapphire um i think i'm gonna finish uh this this game of ruby that i started because why not? I'm actually having a fun time, and I, I wouldn't mind getting some of these legendaries, uh, to, or at least copies of these legendaries, thrown into uh, thrown into my X and Y game. So uh, it's it's been nice to revisit Hoenn uh, and remember. Oh, hey, uh, yeah, I don't I don't actually remember anything about this game. Uh, your your father's a gym leader? That's crazy. You have oh, a yeah. father? I can't. There wasn't a game that you had a father before. It was just your mom. It's just like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, so some kind of cool things about this. Uh, I'll probably end up stopping the first time I have to go dive or whirlpool or something and go, ah, oh, this game's bullshit and throw it away. But, um, but I'm having fun so far. Um, so, Marcel, thanks for coming on. Uh, I will talk to all of you guys real soon. Uh, that Pokemon trading card game episode. Uh, should be recording maybe sometime next week or, or maybe even the week after, but uh, it should be pretty quick. I have a couple other shows that are that are possibilities of happening. I'm still trying to work out some of the logistics and, and get some of the scheduling right, but um, I know there's been a big gap from the last episode to this one, and a lot of that just has to do with uh, me working a 9-to-5 job or an 8-to-5 job, as it, as it turns out. Um, Sorry about that, but I, I'm still dedicated to doing the show, and we're going to still be seeing episodes of that, just maybe sparingly. Uh, so, I think that's it. Well, you have my forgiveness, Chase. <laughs> Thank you, Marcel. I really appreciate that. That really, that really means a lot. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking me on. It was great to get into the recording groove once again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe I can have you on again. That'd be cool. All right, I'll uh, I'll see you guys. Poochie-ina! Beautifly. Shroomish. Torchic. Draco! Gladius. Gladius. Uh, no, um, Corfish. My kip. Ketleon. Zigzagoon! Makahida. Well, what's happening, Pikachu? Pikachu? Lotus. Jigglypuff. Blah, blah. Blaze again. Unity for everyone. Mm-hmm.